Welcome to the Innovation Today podcast, where we speak with today's technology leaders about how they're innovating to stay ahead of changing industry dynamics and reaching new levels of productivity and automation. Brought to you by ServiceNow, your partner in digital transformation. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today on another episode of the Innovation Today podcast. I'm your host, Spencer B. Miller. I hail from the innovation office here at ServiceNow. And today we're excited to welcome Sumit Call, a senior manager at Deloitte. Sumit, welcome. Thanks, Spencer. Uh, you know, great to be here with you. I'm really excited. This is a topic um, that is near and dear to me. So I'm excited to at least provide my perspective on, on the things of supplier risk and supplier management within supply chains. So, so thank you for having me on. Of course. Beautiful to have you. Yeah, and you hit on it already. So we're going to be dump, diving into supplier lifecycle management. We'll be hitting on supplier management, supplier risk, supply chain efficiencies, and all the issues, and hopefully maybe some of the not issues or potential <laughs> uh, improvements that we could see that we're seeing out there in, in supply chain in, in general. So with that in mind, Samid, what's your what's your general lay of the land? And then maybe a little bit about your role on on how this lay of the land has affected you and the customers and the, and the people that you interact with on a regular basis. Sure. So um, you know, when you think about supplier risk and supplier management, you know, th this capability has been around for a really long time across industries, right? So as long as you know, companies buy products and goods from suppliers, you, you've always had a function that works directly with suppliers, makes sure that you have assurance of supply or, or the ability to procure products without any disruption. I think what has changed more recently is there's, there's a need for rethinking uh, when it comes to the way you interact and manage your suppliers. And, and, and the reason is everything around us, right? Uh, we had an unprecedented production disruption because of COVID and we still tend to get Every now and then you keep hearing there is some of the other country that's going through some sort of a partial lockdown. Now, that was that was never heard of before, right? We've never seen disruptions at that scale. There's also geopolitical issues happening across the world with the, with the Russia-Ukraine crisis right now, tensions in Taiwan and China. So what, what's really happening is there's just so much turmoil in the world that the traditional way of thinking that I'm just going to work with my direct suppliers, I'll tell them, you know, what we need. I'll give them feedback on how they're performing. Is no longer sort of viable to drive resiliency in your value chain. And and what we're seeing is a lot of leading companies are investing in capabilities to drive more insights into their value chain, right? So truly understand how deep their value chains are, how vulnerable their value chains are, what geographies are they super concentrated in, and and try to drive mitigation early on, right? I mean that to me is like fundamentally rethinking uh, supply chain management and, and supplier management quite often. So um, I think that to me is like that fundamental shift that's happening that we're seeing across industries. Yeah, that's, that's such a huge point, creating these, these, these areas of resiliency in the value chain as they support their customers. So understanding, oh, if something breaks over here, what are the two to three things that I can do immediately to remediate that issue? Whether that's backload a new supplier, whether that's pull the supply from a backlog that I have in an existing warehouse or some type of plan around it, right? Rather than just, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Hopefully that never happens and just just let it be, right? There's exactly. A, yeah. There, there's a ripple effect that that you need to sort of account for. I think Spencer, the, it's 
sorry to interject, but the, no, the one thing that really comes to mind, I give this example to a lot of companies is think of yourself as a manufacturer. And um, if there's a tier three, which is three layers uh, away from your operations, if there's a fire or a shutdown for whatever reason in a manufacturing facility, um, the traditional way would have been to wait on a tier two supplier to get impacted, then a tier one supplier, and then eventually you would get to know about it in a few weeks or months. And then it's all firefighting, pushing product around across the board. But imagine if you somehow had the ability to know exactly when the fire happened, that, hey, this is something it's within my network and there's been a shutdown. So let me go investigate uh, potential impacts on my operations, right? I mean, that to me is a game changer because now you've bought yourself precious days, weeks, or months to come up with a mitigation action. And, and you know, the ideal, it's, it's like the unsung hero. The ideal result is nobody ever knew about this disruption at all, right? I mean, that's like the win-win situation across the board. Yeah. Yeah, that you're you're so well versed for it that it's it it is is basically a non-conversation. It doesn't even end up in in any CEO's dashboard of saying, oh, exactly. this is something front and center that hey, we're in the news or the fire is hitting this specific area that's near our manufacturing plant. That's going to be a big issue. Versus having a plan that that is adjusted and able to be acted upon prior or as that event is happening. Absolutely. Now, so, so that's super helpful for setting the stage of the industry. I'd, I'd like to actually just hear a little bit more about your experience in this realm, Samid, and, and what got you interested in the environment of supply chain, how your, how your career has actually led you to being able to have all this, all this good knowledge. So I, I have been with Deloitte for about 11 years now, and I've primarily worked in their supply chain and network operations practice. My forte or, or where I operate, uh, really is is in the smart manufacturing and smart factory spaces where we uh, you know help our clients across industries you know improve operations whatever whatever clients are trying to do right whether it is driving velocity within the networks or reducing costs or or adding uh, you know new dimensions to their their products right like when it's new product development new markets etc so, so that's where that's that's quote unquote my bread and butter. That's what I really operate and I get excited about. And I've been, you know, you know, really fortunate to have a great set of clients um, in that space. However, what 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 happened is as COVID hit all of us, right? Like, I mean, we talk about black swan events um, in, in supply chain and things that you never knew about. I think. COVID is the mother of all black swans. I mean, there's there's never been a disruption at, at that magnitude across the board. And, and a lot of my clients uh, started asking the question about, you know, supply resiliency and like, what do we do about events like this? How, how can I get better um, in terms of my operations and my procurement functions uh, and, and not have to constantly be like, go from one firefighting episode to another? And, and we at Deloitte, you know, kept hearing this across industry. So we we started putting our, you know, decades and decades of expertise, understanding these value chains together. And and we, we've, um, you know, built what we call is our methodology in driving resiliency. And we've actually deployed this across clients. I think there are two aspects to, you know, what, what we preach, uh, quote unquote. 
it, one is there's there's always the tool technology component uh, in, in any solution, but then there's also the culture or the process of how do you deal with with such a situation, right? Like when we talk about proactive risk management, you're talking about a paradigm shift shift in the in the way you're approaching uh, supplier risk and supplier risk management, right? It's no longer the traditional, I'm gonna do a quarterly business review, there's a bunch of analytics and that's it. You've gotta be more proactive. So you're trying to like search for risk, you're trying to understand vulnerability. So there's a very big human component in there. There is workflow orchestration and, and a bunch of other things. So as you know, we started helping quite a few of our companies and, and what that has turned into is now I have, so many of these discussions from cross industry uh, leaders that that it's it's been it's been super fun and what I, I really like about it is it takes core you know supply chain knowledge and capabilities and applies onto a situation which is so real for a lot of these companies right like the supply shortage is is not an episodic one-time thing people are like a lot of companies are facing this across categories so the applicable applicability has been very real as well so that's what is kept us going and and we continue to sort of help our clients out yeah that's that's so huge there's there's two aspects of it that that i love that i love that you pull it out of that i mean me working for a software company i i also realized that software is not going to solve all the customers problems right the, the culture aspect is huge on how the, how the company responds to these events. And I think, I mean, as part of what's happened over the past couple of years, we've had, it's just shined a microscope on, well, a lot of us just weren't ready for it, or we just didn't really have a, a good plan around it. I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious to something you hit on there on, on yes, you, like you have a, a, over a decade worth of experience in this and you work across multiple different types of industries and verticals. Was there a was there an industry out there that had was a little bit better set up for the Black Swan events that have happened over the past couple of years, or have was it all kind of uh, you know up with a juggling basket up in the air from all industries having having to kind of react as quick as possible? No, there's there's definitely some industries that um, have reacted much better than some of the others. Uh, for example, automotive, right? Automotive is always really looked at, um, you know, they've, they've got a lot of clarity and visibility beyond their tier ones, right? So the immediate suppliers. So by nature and by culture, they were always curious and they had these relationships. It still hit them pretty hard. As you can tell, if you go to a, you know, a car lot today, try to get a car of your spec and, and your requirements, the answer is probably going to be no, right? You're going to be on like a wait list uh, forever. So clearly it hasn't completely, you know, uh, help them solve these problems. However, I think the concepts of being proactive, looking at beyond your existing, you know, tier one suppliers, thinking about the multi-tiered nature of the value chain, those concepts are not foreign to anyone in automotive, right? Like they, they all have lived it. I think the extent of the uh, disruption and, and not just one commodity, but like semiconductors, resins and then you got like copper shortage during the uh, the uh, the german floods and you had uh, issues when it comes to the you remember the freeze that happened in oh, yeah. in, in texas right That's like all I live. Of these, I remember well. yeah. <laughs> so all of those things sort of you know it, it was uh it was just a you know the the 
impact. It was like a double whammy on 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 already tight sort of um, supply bases, right? So automotive did really do a lot of uh, work around it. Um, there's you know ma- manufacturers in general. Um, it, in general, what we have seen is across industries there is inherent knowledge on certain value streams. So there are certain commodities that have always caused you issues. So you've always seen that there is like this this knowledge residing somewhere in the companies where, oh, this particular value chain, I know the tier two, I know the tier three. But I think, Spencer, the, the biggest change has been to think of it more structurally, right? Like think of it as way of doing business. Thinking of it as hey, this is not a one-time special project that I've been given responsibility for, but I'm going to proactively keep like monitor and, and look at my extended value chain, keep monitoring risk, identify risk and start um, you know working through it. That has been something that is like net new across the board. Um, you know, like, like, you know, I, I have... Uh, you know, one of my clients, it's it's actually great because I've seen the maturity over the last year grow so much that I need, uh, initially we would talk about, hey, you need to illuminate your value chain, which means you need to understand what your uh, buy-sell relationships are. Then you need to identify vulnerabilities and then you need to like, you know, start monitoring them. That was so tough to sort of relate to before, but now I can see my client actually coaching and talking to other people within the organization and explaining the importance of proactive risk management. So I think, you know, it, it's not quite the Titanic to steer, but it's it's a big cultural shift, right, when it comes to, you know, decades of procurement practices. But I'm seeing the changes in, in the clients that, you know, I serve. And I and I think in general, from an industry standpoint, it's, it's the right uh, next step, right, from a supplier risk management perspective. Totally. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm even, I mean, I'm a bit curious on the probe down a level deeper on that. How do, how do you get that first level of inception into the company to say, let's start to look at your vulnerabilities to allow you to understand the landscape of where you're at right now? And then, you know, th- then there's an iterative process to create a plan around what happens if a disaster occurs. What's, what's your recommendation on, on that initiation of starting to shift the culture for some of the customers and, and potential partners out there listening? Um, so Spencer, quite honestly and straightforwardly, I think everybody is suffering from some sort of disruption, right? There is, I don't think there's any industry out there that today doesn't have at least one or two commodities that are in short supply or in under allocation. Right, so the 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 issue or the quote unquote burning platform is in front of everyone, right? So where am I getting hit the most? Um, I think the when when clients reach out to us, there's always a desperation, right? Like they've been struggling with a certain issue for a really long time, and they're like, hey, hey guys, can you help us uh, solve this issue? And usually, the burning platform as it already exists. We tend to like, you know, take that as the impetus to drive this new way of thinking, right? From a from a reactive procurement organization to being more proactive. But I but if 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 you're one of the lucky people listening in today and, and there are no disruptions um in your value chain, I would actually start off by you know, taking a step back and really looking at um, your existing supply base, right? Like think about all the commodities, all the parts, all the geographies and suppliers that you interact with. Are there issues or gaps where, you know, something that keeps you awake at night? Like, hey, 
I do not do not have enough inventory. I just have, you know, it's all single source parts, uh, too few suppliers, not really a robust value chain, too many logistics disruptions, etc. To me, those are those trigger points to start the investigation and proactive mitigation, right? The moment I know there's a problem that I need to mitigate, now I can really take, you know, make use of advanced analytics. I can use big data. I can use like workflow orchestration to, to proactively sense, mm-hmm. you know, the exposure to these risks and then drive mitigation action against it, right? And and to get started, um, you know, the, the good news, Spencer, is the, the data and all the critical components are with all manufacturers, right? You know who's supplying to you. You know what product you're buying from them. You know how many suppliers are providing that product to you. You know how much you spend uh, with these suppliers. That is good enough with you to sort of add, uh, you know, market research to say, where's my exposure, right? Like what areas of the value chain will really drive um, uh, the highest amount of risk? And you start mitigating that first. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's having the having the data at the forefront of your purview to then have that conversation with your internal teams, of course, but even maybe exposing that with the supplier that you work with, saying, "Hey, you know, this is where this is where we saw some opportunities for growth." You know, as the blip in the radar occurred from the Black Swan event, how can we how can we avoid that going forward? How can we actually build a, a business? continuity plan around if something like that occurs again, this is the type of relationship and interaction we want versus, you know, having delays for months and months and months to wait for a product to come on site. Absolutely. Absolutely, Spencer. And I think, um, you know, you, you brought up a really good point that I, I kind of mentioned, but I didn't really emphasize on it is traditionally, you know, supplier management, uh, quote unquote, always felt like your, you know, you're trying to beat down on your suppliers for better performance, better price, et cetera. This proactive risk management is more a collaboration, right? You're trying to share intelligence beyond your tier ones. And it, and I think it really, and I've seen this at the clients that I serve, it really drives and makes the bond stronger between a manufacturer and its suppliers. Because the idea here is you're trying to make sure that you're sending the right signals out to your supply base. And, and it's almost a, a cautionary note, right? Like, hey, if we're sensing X, Y, and Z, just be aware of it. You know, what all this is is just a cautionary sort of note, right? Like, let's let's collectively work in mitigating that strategy versus just having a one-sided relationship with suppliers, right? Like, I do feel that actually drives um, a lot of collaboration between multiple tiers within your value chain. Yeah, yeah, the data and transparency just opens up opens up for that conversation to be had rather than it just be like a, a negotiation tactic for trying exactly. to exactly exactly yeah what's uh in general what like what's so we understand a little bit on the on the vulnerability in and understanding the lay of the lands you've hit on a couple of key points on on where we can start to initiate a a, a change in the culture what's a what's kind of like a good next step for once you've established a uh, an understanding of the lay of the land, a, an understanding around the vulnerabilities out there, what's what's the next thing that you might suggest the customer to do on taking a step on? Uh, okay, here's how I want to be more proactive and agile as an organization. Is there is there a general best practice there, or a general prescriptive notion, or does it co- completely depend upon the the client that you're engaging with? 
Well, I think there are some fundamental, um, you know, structural things that is, is common across all industries and clients. And then I think the mitigation is what differs by industry because certain uh, things that you would take to mitigate risk in, in life sciences and healthcare would be different from an automotive supplier. However, I think uh, I sort of mentioned this before, but, you know, when we, when we think about, I'm calling it, you know, reimagining supplier risk and supplier management, um, that needs a different sort of muscle memory altogether, right? So you need to build that muscle memory within your organization. Uh, what we have seen across industries is there's usually a separate team that gets created. It doesn't have to be a massive team, but there's always, uh, you know, a separate organization that gets created with the mission statement of being, uh, you know, for, for driving proactive supply risk management and, and driving this capability within the organization. The idea is, you know, you, you are trying to get fresh eyes and, and a fresh perspective on supplier management and, and the risk associated with, with suppliers as well. So what I would recommend is, as you think about your own organizations, uh, uh, first is the data piece, right? Like, look, take a step back, look at where your vulnerabilities are with the data that you already have. Um, then I think, you know, in parallel, Get, get started on on whether you want to call it a tiger team or, or a separate organization that's that is solely responsible for driving this proactive capability within uh, within your company and then I think the next step is once you know where your vulnerabilities are the, the step one when it comes to like going live with this capability is the illumination right it's the the multi-tier illumination and the bicell relationships that impact your supply chains and and then risk monitoring on top of it. I think I think if you can set that structure out, what it does is it A tells you as a company where you feel the highest risk is, B, it drives a little bit of visibility around, you know, how deep your value chain is, what are critical nodes in the value chain that you need to monitor, and C, you're proactively now already monitoring these things. So if there is any kind of disruption, uh, in, in those nodes, this Tiger team or whatever this team is called um, will already start working on some of those issues, right? Yeah. You're not disrupting operations as, as it stands. There is no impact on existing firefighting, but you're building institutional knowledge and enterprise knowledge around these risks and mitigating any of the risks uh, before they can manifest, right? So like that's that's the typical sort of recipe to get started. And then, you know, once you have a certain sort of history and capability developed, then the sky is the limit, right? You can go super aggressive and scale up pretty quickly, or you want to continue with that Tiger team and just look at specific issues. They can parachute in, fix certain things and move on. It all depends on how you want to operate it across the board. And then, um, you know, but, but the overall goal is, and I keep telling this to my clients is the, the goal would be for procurement to move from day-to-day -day firefighting to, to more strategic decisions every day, right? Like right now, if I look at um, at least in the uh, industrial products, automotive, you know, equipment manufacturing industries, I think buyers are spending probably 80% of their days fighting fires, right? Making sure parts are coming in, working with suppliers, et cetera. Yeah. We want to we want to get to a point where that is minimal and on an exception basis, and your tools, capabilities, your structure from a process standpoint, is you know identifying these disruptions early enough 
that they don't need to become firefighting efforts of the future, right? So you're spending more time on supplier development, strategic sourcing, getting your processes better, and 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 uh, really doing more exciting stuff than firefighting, quite <laughs> honestly, right? So that's that's the that's the vision that I usually tell my clients about when we get started on this journey. Yeah, that's that's almost nirvana, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I, I'm I'm actually curious there too on if is is there somebody that you've worked with you don't have to name names or an example that you can think of top of mind that has done that successfully so has taken what we can do in the software world of automation on maybe alleviating some of the more firefighting tactics that typically get thrown onto a human or a group of humans right now. And somebody that's done it well in an automate or an automation standpoint that says, okay, we've seen that this is a problem that is taking us multiple weeks, multiple months because humans are passing this around all different types of, of manufacturing hats, if you will. Let's apply an RPA bot to this, for example, a robotic process process optimization, or, or let's apply a machine learning tactic to say, here, here's all the historical data that are are um, our operational technology has published into us to then show us this is how we've operated in the past. We can make better decisions about it going forward. Is if there's a story or anything in there that rings rings top of mind for you, I'd I'd love to hear it. So I, I Spencer, what I would say is that if you ask me, is there one that does all of it? I think the answer is probably no. But there are aspects of it that have been deployed across industries, right? I was talking about automotive, there are quite a few of our clients that are doing some phenomenal work on, you know, just just getting deeper into some of the the the, the value streams or the commodities that have been an issue in the automotive world for a really long time, right? Um, yeah. So we've actually, you know, we're working with some of our, our, our clients where uh, we're, we're really getting into the details. We're getting down to like tier four, tier tier seven, tier eight, tier nine level um, visibility into the value chains. And then not only just the, the analysis part of it, because that to me is just one part of the equation, but it's what do you do when you find an issue, right? I think that's where, you know, RPAs or, or workflow orchestrations or doing something um, rebalancing your inventory, issuing what, uh, issuing out automatic POs or, you know, supply orders to move inventory within your value chain. All of those things uh, tend to happen. I think the because this is such a new thing and it's been it's gained steam significantly after COVID. That I don't think there's one company that's like the 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 you know the lighthouse or the the benchmark on doing everything right. Um, but I, I do believe there are certain capabilities that work really well in, in certain industries, like visibility in, like I said, in automotive is extremely great. Is it yeah. perfect? No, but it's it's getting there slowly, right? Um, whereas I see traditional manufacturers, their focus is on specific commodity and, and specific value streams and getting very detailed and deep into those value streams to really identify a risk. Then there are certain other manufacturers who are very specific and focused on uh, geopolitical and geographic risk, right? So they want to understand how exposed am I to East Asia, right? And and what part of my uh, supply chain either ends there or interacts with that uh, location, and 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 you know if there is any disruption, what would be my my you know, uh, liability, so to speak, from a, um, a risk standpoint, right? So there's there's different aspects of it. But what you're bringing up, um, Spencer, is an important point um, because when we think about 
proactive risk management, speed is of the essence. First movers have the advantage. Of course, uh, for yeah. example, right, semiconductor shortage that we're still sort of dealing with. It's been almost two years. It started off in early 2020 and it's like picked up steam in 21. I think it's getting better, but you don't see that translated into, at least in the automotive sector, in the car lots yet, right, from an inventory standpoint. So it's still here to stay with us. But the the first mover advantage in semiconductors is very clear. Um, what we've seen is whether it is automotive OEMs or other manufacturers, they started directly negotiating with chip manufacturers and foundries and started buying um, capacity, right? So so some, some of these chip manufacturers are tier four or tier five when it comes to value chain. This is something that wasn't imagined before, but now you're seeing OEMs do that. Now, the thing is, if you are the 10th person uh, you know, in front of them versus the first person, right? The negotiation tactic, the kind of leverage that you can get with these manufacturers is different. So the reason why we keep, you know, at least I keep talking about proactiveness is because the goal is to be the first or the second person in their doors, right? So that you can you can have the upper hand in terms of negotiation and, and mitigation strategy. To me, RPA, automation, data, work of workflow, orchestration, and, and just making faster decisions just makes you faster in identifying any kind of disruption and driving the mitigation as early as you possibly can in the hopes of being the first person to start, you know, uh, to, to negotiate, whether it's a capacity agreement, buying more inventory, or whatever the case may be, right? I think the, the first mover advantage is what I think all manufacturers should aim for. That's huge. Yeah, and, and, and almost a competitive differentiator, right? If you're in Absolutely. there, if you're in there with a, a good RPA understanding, or you, you have the ability to apply automation to certain parts of proactive device management, for instance, that's that's huge. And that, that provides you a leg up and probably gets you in the door sooner to be have that negotiation as the first or second supplier in in engaged in that, in that account. Actually, this this stems kind of what, what I'd like to almost bring us closing to because you've already started to hit on it, which I think you just have a good visionary mindset to me. What are the, in general, some key trends that that you're seeing out there, you've hit on a few of them and I think what I'd like to maybe ask you, given your expertise, is where do you see this going? Where would your nirvana idealistic state be three, five, ten years out of of what a, a, a solid manufacturing and supply chain relationship could look like? Well, um, I hope we don't have a podcast in a year where you question on all the stuff that I say on this podcast and how much of it materialized. But, you know, if, if I, you know, as I think about the market and, and the trends and just the, the top line indicators that I see, as I said before, supply market definitely is easing up. I see the trends when it comes to inventory levels or just the freight cost for, for ocean shipments between East Asia, Europe, and East Asia and North America. Those those numbers are going down. Overall, availability of products and shortages have, have started to come down. But then there's also the dreaded you know, R word that's coming up as well, right? Like people are talking about slowdowns, etc. What, in my perspective, um, 
what we are seeing is definitely the supply market and supply chains are stabilizing. Um, we do not see any improvements or major improvements when it comes to domestic challenges, right? Immediately, uh, as in, you know, we still have a shortage of uh, truck drivers within the U.S. that's causing a lot of strain in, um, you know, the logistics environment. It, it is easing up because if, as demand goes down, requirements go down, but the demand is still not down compared to like pre-pandemic levels, right? So you're still seeing a significant demand. What I what I tell my, um, you know, clients and, and customers on is, you know, disruptions will keep changing shape, right? You know, you have the Russia-Ukraine issue that caused a different kind of disruption when it comes to utility costs in, in Europe and some major commodities that were impacted. Um, I hope this doesn't happen, but if there are flaring tensions between, you know, China, Taiwan, and the U.S., there's a significant amount of supply chain that resides in that critical area that could see some, um, you know, some some impact, right? It, it, the worst case would be there could be some some kind of stoppage, right? So we just need to be um, aware, and that's where when I talk about you need to realize what your vulnerabilities are. To me, if in, in 2023, what I would recommend is take a step back and just try to understand, you know, how risk averse is your value chain truly. Um, you know, you may from a tier one standpoint think that oh, all my tier ones are great. I don't, I do not buy any um, commodity or part that, you know, all of these geopolitical issues or disruptions are sort of dealing with. I don't really have to do anything with it. But if you peel the onion one layer below, like your tier twos and then tier threes, you'll quickly see that we are a very globalized world. Everything is interconnected. Things are moving across the geographies. You you tend to use ocean freight. You're using trucking. There's there's a lot of that interdependency. So, you know, just just getting more intelligent about where you stand from an exposure standpoint, and then starting to highlight and identify those 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 uh, top two or three different issues would be what I would say everybody should focus on. You don't. You do not need to like boil the ocean and look at every commodity, every part that you're buying. Uh, just focus on the ones that you know will will cause a significant impact on your operations, right? Something that will shut your line down. Something that will impact your revenue immediately, and it'll be a sizable impact. Just focus on those. Get more intelligent about it, and and uh, you know, start thinking about. You know, how can I be more proactive, right? Like, how can I work with my tier ones and, and be more proactive and, and, and do something when I identify a risk signal? How do I interact with my tier ones? Like, what do I tell them, right? Like, how do you share this information? You will see, the reason why I bring this up is because that doesn't come naturally to people, right? Um, manufacturers and suppliers, you know, there's a little bit of a, um, a you know, there's there's always uh, a, a layer of secrecy between different layers because you're like, you don't want to expose too much because uh, you know that there would be, you know, cost cutting requirements or hey, I or or a, or a beat down when it comes to pricing, etc. I think just interacting with your suppliers more in a collaborative manner, um, you will see there'll be a big difference. They will try to like, you know, actually tell you about disruptions beforehand and uh, you know support you in the process. So. I know that that's quite a bit. The, the general theme is going forward, things seem to be easing up from a supply chain perspective. 
but there will be disruptions, right? I think that I can guarantee there'll be some disruption, uh, whether temporary, whether short term or whether longer term, there'll always be that. But if you as an organization can, can truly understand your vulnerabilities, it just makes you better at mitigating risk. Amazing. That's super helpful to me. I greatly appreciate all the all the knowledge that you've shared with us today. And and there's probably a ton more that we could continue on with. Is there any last minute uh, or, or any areas that you'd like to steer the audience to to learn more about what we're doing collaboratively and how Deloitte can help in the, in the manufacturing chain? Absolutely. Um, Spencer, firstly, thank you again for this opportunity to connect with your audience. Uh, hopefully, Everybody got something of interest um, in, in, in my experience working with my clients. Um, but, but at Deloitte, everything that I've said, you know, this is what we do. We help our clients across industries, whether it's life sciences, healthcare, and, you know, industrial products, automotive, uh, or others, right? I mean, there's a, there's a different recipe for each, but the building blocks are, are very similar, right? So if there's any question, anything that we can help you out with, do, do feel free to like reach out to us. I don't know the mechanism here, Spencer, but I'm sure your audience can, can find a way to get to you and, um, you know, eventually to us as well. But, but this conversation uh, has been great. And, and the last piece I would say, Spencer, just to add on is, um, you know, you know, ServiceNow and, and Deloitte, um, you know, are bringing in a lot of cutting edge products and technologies to the marketplace specifically to address many of these issues. So if there are any questions on how we can collectively help you, um, you know, solve your problems, please, please feel free to like reach out. Amazing. Yep. Thanks so much to me that, and actually I was going to hit on a few on our end too. So we'll, we'll definitely be able to get the audience to you. Should there be any questions to actually, to learn more about how we're working collaboratively and solving some of these critical workforce issues in manufacturing you can actually give ServiceNow a visit at servicenow.com forward slash manufacturing. There's some great stuff that's out there on store.servicenow.com and you can actually search manufacturing and or Deloitte and filter based on the product offerings that you guys have already built on there, which are some killer ones. And there's a, a community group that's dedica dedicated to supply chain and manufacturing. So if you go to community.servicenow.com, you can interact with yes, ServiceNow people, yes, Deloitte people, but also customers and suppliers and partners out there that are in the, the similar vein or similar realms and similar industries that you're in. So go ahead and visit any of those items to, to get a hold of us. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and share. Samit, thank you again so much for your time. Look forward to meeting with you in, in the next couple of years and see if your vision actually comes to fruition. Thank you, sir.